Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coastal. I'm Pastor Chris. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. Welcome uh, in person, uh, those of you that are here and who brave the kind of dreary, nasty weather outside. And uh, thank you for those of you who are tuning in online. And welcome to week one of At The Movies, one of our favorite uh, series over the years for sure. Uh, we originally did this series actually in 2008. And uh, then we brought it back in 2011. And uh, we have done At The Movies every summer since. Anybody remember the very first movie uh, that you uh, went to see that you can remember uh, seeing as a kid. Uh, one of the very first movies that I remember seeing as a kid uh, was Bambi um, at the old Ultravision movie theater. Anybody remember that? Sam Rittenberg Boulevard, kind of where uh, Moe's is now there. And uh, yes, Pastor Chris cried uh, when Bambi's mom was shot. Sh spoiler alert there for those of you not seen that one. Um, I remember the first time that I saw the, the Wizard of Oz movie, not in the theater, okay? Okay, I'm not that old, but I do remember seeing that movie for the first time and being totally freaked out by the what? Anybody know? The flying monkeys. That is scary stuff. Um, I remember seeing the movie Jaws when it came out in the theater in the Pine Haven Movie Theater in North Charleston. Anybody remember that theater? Yeah, and then all summer long, I grew up on James Island, and all summer long, I was afraid to go into the water uh, out at Folly Beach. Um, how about drive-in movies? People remember those? They're kind of, you know, making a comeback for sure. Anybody remember to go, going to see a drive-in movie uh, at the theater on Rivers Avenue? Remember that? Uh, before before they start showing pornography exclusively, okay? Um, so you might not know this though. Many of you might not be aware of this, but our property right here, 460 Arlington Drive, actually used to be a drive-in movie theater in the early 50s. That's a true, that's a true fact. In fact, uh, before we built this building that we're in right now, uh, you could still see the rolling uh, hills, the rolls in the hills where the cars parked for the drive-in movie theater. But of course, in 2021, who needs to go to the movies anymore, right? You know, with big, big uh, television screens, high-tech, high-def, Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon. Um, you never have to leave your house. But without a doubt, uh, our world today still, still has a love affair with the movies. In fact, I will go as far to say that our culture today gets a lot of what it believes about God, about spirituality, uh, about life, from the movies they watch and the music that they listen to. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that they get it right. In fact, I don't think that they do. But through movies and music, uh, the world around us is asking questions and they are raising issues. Now, the good news for all of us as followers of Jesus is we've actually got the answers. We do. So instead of imitating or condemning, and that's typically what we do as believers, a lot of times we go to these extremes, right? We, we imitate or we condemn, or maybe even worse, ignoring the culture, instead of doing all of that, why not simply choose to engage the culture? You know, to redeem culture. That's what Jesus did, right? John 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. 
We also see that later on in the New Testament. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul did in the 17th chapter of Acts when he's visiting Athens. He actually used their culture and their practices. In fact, he, he comes upon an altar you know, to, uh, to an unknown God. And he uses that altar to, to preach about Jesus. Now the Bible says that his heart was deeply troubled by what he saw. But he used their culture and he used their practices to point people to Jesus, to engage in a conversation. He engaged the culture. So that's what we're gonna do in this series. That's what we do here at Coastal. Now you might be deeply troubled, like the Apostle Paul, by what you see in the world today. In fact, you ought to be. You might be deeply troubled by what you see in a particular movie. But instead of having no spiritual discernment, you know, never being troubled by what you see, or just the opposite, acting like the uh, stereotypical, judgmental nut jobs that the world thinks we are, why not choose to engage the culture? You know, why not be willing to, to talk to people and to have a conversation, you know, to get a conversation going and to, and to point people to Jesus? So, don't mistake um, what we're going to be doing over the next six weeks. Uh, pastor Chris and uh, the rest of our pastors, we are not going to be preaching from the movies themselves. We don't do that. Uh, as always at Coastal, what we are going to do, however, is uh, we're going to use the movies. We're going to use them as just a, a hook, a conversation starter, and then we are going to open up God's Word and we are boldly going to proclaim truth. The six movies, really, they're just a way to, uh, to have some fun. They're a springboard to get the conversation started, okay? So, let's begin. How many of you, raise your hand if you have seen the movie Cruella? Okay, how about this? Raise your hand if you grew up, you remember seeing the original 101 Dalmatians. How about that? Okay, of course, just about everybody, right? So now, without giving too much of it away, and we kind of promise that we're not gonna do that during the series, you know, we're not gonna, you know, we're gonna give you a spoiler alert. Um, I, I, again, I saw the movie this past week. You know, it's a pretty good flick. Um, it is the prequel, the prequel to 101 Dalmatians. So it tells the origin story of the evil Cruella DeVille. Now, even though it is a Disney movie, uh, personally, I do think it's a little dark uh, and a little intense for small children. Keep in mind, um, it is PG-13. Now, it has gotten positive reviews from critics, and uh, it appears as if it will be somewhat of a box office success. Now, what's interesting about this movie is that here after the pandemic, it simultaneously opened in theaters and on Disney Plus uh, with premier access. In other words, a little teaser there, you know, if you have Disney Plus, you think you can watch it. No, 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 you gotta pay an extra 30 bucks to be able to watch it. But it is the first movie since the pandemic that had a major red carpet premiere event uh, in Los Angeles. Now, there's a lot of different directions that I could go with this movie today, okay? A lot of different spiritual themes that I could use. I could preach a, a message about revenge uh, and bitterness. You see that loud and clear in the movie. Hebrews 12, 15, of course, says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. 
Or I could uh, use the rich young ruler today, and I could talk about chasing after the things of this world and then losing your soul in the process. Honestly, when we first decided on the movies, you know, as a staff, and uh, we picked Cruella to be one of them, I thought that I would just stand up here today and preach a message about the original queen of mean in the Bible. Anybody know who that would have been? Queen who? Oh, come on, know your Bible a little bit. Queen Jezebel, right? Queen Jezebel, the original uh, queen mean in the Old Testament. However, the story of Jezebel, you know, she's married to the evil king Ahab, but the story of Jezebel and Ahab is really the story of Elijah. And so after seeing the movie this week, I decided to go in a completely different direction. So to me, the, the overriding kind of uh, major theme of this movie from start to finish is really this eternal struggle of good versus evil. And you see this all throughout the movie, again, from start to finish. At birth, you see this struggle in young Estella. Okay, so that's her name when she's born, Estella. And she's born, of course, with this very strange birthmark. Half of her hair is black and half of her hair is white. That's how she's born. And obviously, it symbolizes this struggle that's going on of good versus evil. In fact, as a young child, all through school, her mom is always pleading with her not to give in to her bad side. So much so that she even gives young Estella a nickname for when she does give in to the dark side, and the nickname, of course, is Cruella. But completely give in, she does. She even gives herself a new last name, DeVille. And uh, it's, you'll, you see this in the movie, it's taken from her stolen car, a panther DeVille. But listen, it was only this week I was this many years old that I realized that Cruella's last name actually spells devil. Am I the only one that did, I mean like, you're like, wake up Pastor Chris, are you that dumb? You know, but like I did not know that, I never realized that. So all through the movie though, what's interesting is that Cruella is painted as this sympathetic villain. You know, being bad and seeking revenge you know, it's, it's kind of painted as uh, hip and cool and uh, usually justified. Even the last song in the movie is, are you ready for this? Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. I mean, it's all through the movie. So let's talk about the truth. What does the Bible teach? What does the Bible say? Truth number one, if you're taking notes. You do have an enemy and evil is real. You have an enemy and evil is real. Listen, no rational person can deny that evil, real evil does exist in the world. You could pick up any newspaper, watch any you know, news show, and every single day you will see terrorism, war, genocide, rape, murder, corruption, and abuse. Evil is real. And there is a powerful enemy who has declared war on you. There's a very real spiritual battle that is going on beyond the physical, beyond what you and I can see. There is an enemy, Jesus taught, that is determined to steal, kill, and destroy you. 
He is waging a brutal assault every day on your heart, on your mind, on your family, on your children, on your marriage, on your body, on your finances, everything. Who is he? His name is Satan, the devil. And you might sit here this morning, you know, watching online here in the building, and you might say, oh, come on, Pastor Chris. Seriously? You know, it's 2021. That's just a myth. Are you telling me you actually believe that? Absolutely. Revelation chapter 12. I want you to listen to this. Then there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. And the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. Now, who are her children? What does it say? All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. That's what the Bible says. In other words, Satan, the Bible says, is real, and he is furious at all of you, at every believer, so much so that he wants to personally destroy you. He has declared war on you and your family. That's truth number one. You have an enemy, and evil is real. Truth number two, the struggle, the struggle is real. The Bible teaches that God made me, he made you to, to love you, to enjoy a personal relationship with you, and for you then to manage all the rest of his creation. And so listen, when we do that, when we know and love God, and we live in harmony with his purposes for our lives, it produces all kinds of wonderful blessings and benefits, peace, security, purpose, fulfillment, strength, just to name a few. I could go on and on and on. So you might sit there and say, okay, well then, Pastor Chris, what's the problem? You know, God made us to, to love us, to have a relationship with us. You know, and when we live in harmony with those purposes, it creates all these wonderful things. So what gets in the way of that? What's the problem? The problem is sin. Sin, sin entered the world. And we choose to ignore God and his principles and go our own way. Now why? Why do we do that? Why do we struggle? Why do we sin? Well, the answer is at least threefold. Number one, our nature. Our nature. The Bible actually teaches that because you're a human being, you have a sinful nature, which we got from Adam and Eve, the very first people who sinned. We all inherited this natural tendency, this propensity to do our own thing, to go our own way apart from God. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans 8, 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. By the way, if you're a parent, okay, no parent has to ever teach their children their precious, beautiful gifts from God to be selfish, do you? 
You don't have to do that. You don't have selfish lessons, how to say no lessons. You don't do that. Where did they get that from? By the way, they didn't get it from the color of their hair, okay? Like Cruella. It's so much deeper than that. You see, it's in their very nature, our nature. I want to do what I want to do. You know, all through, you know, parenting, when, we, when Jan and I were, you know, had young kids and they would do something, they'd be disobedient, Jan's like, where did they get that from? I was like, honey, the sinful nature of man, right there. You know, that, that's what it is. It's our tendency to be self-centered. Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. What does that mean? It means that you and I, we have this amazing, amazing ability to lie to ourselves and to believe our own lies. Just like Estella, we have this nature and we have this this struggle. Number two, the second reason for the struggle, nurture. Nature and nurture. Listen, the truth is, your sinful nature, our sinful nature is exponentially compounded by the other sinful people who have lived all throughout history and all the other sinful people in your own life. In fact, guess what? You had some great, great role models for sin growing up. You know why? Because your parents are, guess what? They're sinners too. They are, I mean, as great and as wonderful you, you might think they are, You know, and maybe they are great people, but guess what? They also have a sin nature, and they blow it. Number three, the third factor that compounds all of this, again, are nature, nurture, and culture. Culture. What I mean by that is the world. The Bible tells us that the world is always pulling us down. It's not pulling us up. Ephesians 2.2 says, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Listen, the world today doesn't want to make you a better person. No. It wants to make you a selfish person. And everything in the world today says, look out for number one. Do what's best for you. You don't need God. Go your own way. And so Satan uses all of that to influence you to do the wrong thing. Listen, do you not really think that the struggle of good versus evil is real? I want you to listen to these words written by a fellow struggler and see if you can guess who spoke them. He said, I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, and then I do it anyway. Can anybody relate to this? He says, my decisions, such as they are, they don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens, in fact, so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is right there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question. Do you know who said that, who wrote that? Not Cruella DeVille, but the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote those words. 
about this struggle in Romans chapter seven. And so as a result of sin and Satan and this eternal struggle, you and I need to come to terms with the reality that we live in a fallen, broken world. And everything on the planet in some way, shape, or form has been damaged, injured, spoiled, or corrupted in some way by the entry of, of evil and sin into the world. Listen to me. You know, there are natural consequences there are physical consequences, emotional, sexual, relational, spiritual consequences of the living in the fallen world in which we live. The collateral damage affects everyone and everything. So the question I got for you today is this. So why? Why didn't God just shut it down? Shut the whole earth down. I mean, when he looks down and he sees things like genocide and war and racism and, and rape and murder and people hating on each other and killing each other, why doesn't he just pull the plug on the whole thing? I mean, why does he put up with it? After all, right, he's got the power to do so, right? He's got the power to shut it down. Why doesn't he just close up shop? Because although the world is broken, our God still loves you. He loves you. And, and he still has the, the world in his hands. He's still in control. And we've got to realize that all of history, all of history is moving toward this ultimate climax. You see, history is nothing more than his story. That's all it is. And I can think of at least three reasons for God not shutting down the earth just yet. Three reasons that the Bible teaches, and we need to know this, we need to understand this. Number one, to give us a choice. To give us a choice. Listen, allowing sin and evil into the world, it, even though it hurts God, it hurts him deeply, his heart breaks, it gives us a clear-cut choice. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 says this. Now listen, today I am giving you a choice between life and death. Some translations actually say between good and evil, between prosperity and disaster. Now here's the point. You're not an animal. You're not. You were created by a holy and loving God. In fact, you were created by him in his very own image. And that means that you have a free moral choice. God is saying, listen, I want you to choose to love me. I want you to choose to love me. I'm not gonna force you. You're not gonna be a puppet. I want you to choose. Listen, I can't say that I really love you unless I have the choice not to. In other words, I couldn't make my wife Janet fall in love with me, although my good looks and money, you know, obviously that was a big influence. But, you know, I can't make her. 
I can't make her stay in love with me. It is her choice. And so God is saying, listen, I am not, I'm not gonna force any of you to love me. I'm not gonna force you to, to worship me. You can either love me or not love me. You can either believe in my son Jesus and commit your life to him, or you can reject him. And I'm gonna give you that choice. Man, that's the good news, right? But here's the bad news. You gotta be willing to live with those consequences. You see, while you're free to choose anything you want to do in life, you and I are not free from the consequences. I can go out and do drugs today, but I'm not free from the consequences of that, that, that choice, that decision. I'm free to cheat on my wife but I'm not free from the consequences. I'm free to murder, but I'm not free from the consequences. I am free to absolutely turn my back on God and do whatever I want to do for the rest of my life, but I'm not free from the consequences of it. You see, if you want to, you can live your entire life just doing your own thing. You can forget God, you can, but you've gotta be willing to live with the consequences of that choice in this life and in the life to come for all eternity because that's the choice. Listen, you know, in the movie, you know, evil, doing bad, doing the wrong thing, it's glamorized, it looks cool and hip, you know, it looks very fashionable, but don't you ever forget there are consequences for those choices. Here's the second reason, number two, to show us our need for a savior. To show us our need for a savior. What do I mean by that? Listen, the worse this world gets, I think the more we realize that we do need God, that there is no other hope. You know, in fact, I think that's true in your own life. The more messed up your life gets, the more you start realizing, you know what? I'm not such a good, a good manager of it myself after all. You start realizing that your way doesn't work and you have a need for God. And sometimes, sometimes it takes being laid flat out on your back to make you look up and see God. If it takes pain, God will allow it because he cares about you. He loves you. He wants to draw you to himself. And God is saying, I'm, I'm giving you a choice. I want you to see that you're a sinner in need of a savior and that one has been provided. There's a third reason, to demonstrate his grace, to demonstrate his grace. The Bible says this in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord isn't being slow about his promise. Now, stop there just for a second. He's talking about his promise to return, to come back, which by the way is when he is going to pull the plug on this whole thing. So the Lord's not being slow about his promise as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Whose sake? Your sake, my sake, this world. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. Listen, 
You know what that means? It, it, it means to go to hell. That God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't want anybody to be separated from him for all eternity, but he wants everyone to repent. That, that is why God puts up with all the grief that he sees on this planet, because ultimately he is being patient. He is waiting for you. He is waiting for others to step across the line of faith and come to know him. He wants you in his family. He wants you to choose him. And once you're already in his family, he wants you to invite and to tell your, your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, where you live, work, parent, and play, because guess what? He wants all of them in his family too. And that, that right there is, is our mission. That's why this church exists. That's why all churches exist. You see, once the door to the ark is shut, and it starts to rain, there's no opening that, that door back up again 15 minutes later. It's over. And so when God finally shuts it all down, either you die or Jesus comes back. Either he calls you home or he comes again. It's over. There is no second chance. And so our loving, gracious God is saying, I'm waiting. I'm waiting just a little bit longer so people have the opportunity to receive my grace. Yes, the world is broken, and there is evil, and God is in control. He still has the whole world in his hands. So what do we do? How do we respond? Let me give you three ways to respond. Number one, receive God's grace. Receive God's grace. Listen, if God is waiting to shut the world down so that he can show us his grace, then you need to receive that grace. And then you need to live by that grace on an everyday basis. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused, the death, caused death to rule over many. Talking about us, talking about the world. But even greater is God's what? His wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. You see, even though there is an enemy and evil is real and the struggle is real, we have victory, not because of you and me or anything that we've done, but because Jesus defeated sin and death and the grave and because he did, you can too. But you've gotta receive it. Number two, remember that this world is only temporary. Listen, don't get too caught up in this fallen world in which we live. This is not your home. We're just passing through. Don't get too enamored with the things of this world because nothing, nothing that you see in this world is gonna last. Everything is going to vanish one day. There are only two things that will last for all eternity, God's word and God's people. So you gotta build your life on the things that are gonna last. Hebrews 13, 14 reminds us, for this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. And then number three, Reject man-made solutions. What do I mean by that? Listen, because we live in a broken, fallen world, that means that you and I are going to have some un unmet needs, a whole lot of them. 
A whole lot of unmet needs. You, you're going to have unmet personal needs, relational needs, sexual needs. You have a need to be understood. You have a need to be loved. You have a need for community, financial needs. We have unmet physical needs. Not everything's going to work in your body all the time. And so all these different needs are in your life because this is not, uh, you know, this is not heaven. This is not the Garden of Eden. You know, this, this is, we live in a sinful planet, a broken world that's not perfect, full of sin and evil. Now, what you don't want to do, though, is to give in to the temptation of figuring out how to meet those needs in your own way, in your own power, in your own strength, rather than trusting in God. Big, big mistake. It will lead to broken hearts, broken dreams, broken bodies, broken promises, on and on and on. Jeremiah 2.13 puts it this way, for my people have done two, two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. What in the world is he talking about? You know what a cistern is? It's not a well. It's a hole that's dug in the ground, like in the desert, usually in clay. And it didn't have any water itself in it. They would have to put water into it. Basically, it's kind of like an in-ground storage tank. And now, in a well, you've got what? You've got living water, right? It's rising up. It's bubbling up. But out in a cistern, you have to carry water to it because it has no water, and you dump it there. But over time, what happens? It leaks out into the ground. It goes dry. Why? It's temporary. It's not going to last. And then at the same time, the water there eventually becomes uh, brackish, because there's nothing new coming in. It becomes polluted, murky, full of bacteria, dead animals full of debris, you know, fall into it. But, but people in those areas, they tend to still drink it because they believe that's the only water that they've got. And so what God is saying is that what happens that's exactly what happens when you are trying to meet your own needs in your own way, in your own strength. And all the while, he is reaching out to you saying, listen, I'm over here. That's not the only option. I have the spring of living water. What you're doing, how you're trying to fill that hole in your heart and your soul and meet those unmeet needs that you have, it's not going to last. It's only temporary. And then it's going to leave you broken. And he is saying, I'll take care of all of your needs. I want you to go back with me to Paul's struggle in Romans chapter 7. Let's close with this. Remember what he said? He said, listen, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? You see, it's possible. It's possible that that is exactly how you feel today. You've tried everything. You've tried it in your own way, in your own strength, and you feel like you are at the very end of your rope. You are hopeless and you are powerless. Now, the good news is this, that that is not the end of the rope. And that is not, thank God, the end of chapter seven, because there's one more verse that the Apostle Paul concluded with. He said this in verse 25. The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. 
Jesus does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I am pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. He says, but Jesus can and does. Jesus is the answer. What he is saying is this. Yes, evil is real. Yes, we have an enemy. Yes, the struggle is real, but you can write this truth down. It's not on your blank. It's not on the screen, but I want it written on your heart. Jesus Jesus Christ has won the victory. And because of that, you can live in victory too. He has defeated sin and death and the grave, and he is the only way. Listen, it's not something trite. Evil is not glamorous. There is a choice. Choose today. What will you choose? Listen, this is why our church exists. To share and experience the life and the love of Jesus with Charleston in the world. Open up your heart to it today. Come home. Live in victory. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the victory that we do have because of what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection. Father, evil is real. We have an enemy. But he has been defeated. And I thank you for that. Listen, if you're here today in person or you're watching this online, come home. Listen, all of history is his story and it's leading toward this climactic end. Either God will call you home or Jesus is coming again. Come home. Pour out your heart to a loving God right here and now. Just pray something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I do admit it. I am a sinner. I've blown it. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And today, I believe that one has been provided. His name is Jesus. And I ask him, I ask him to come into my life to forgive me of my sin. And for the rest of my days, I want to follow him. I want to become more and more like you now see me, forgiven and righteous in your eyes. Again, not because of me, God, but because of you, because of your grace, because of what Jesus did for me. There was death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you. And Father, I pray for this church that we would be the church that would continue to reach out into this world to share truth and love and grace and to invite people to a place where they can see Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.